is Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries from Henry Press and host of the Cozy Corner Podcast, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Joining me in the Cozy Corner today is Allison von Rosenvinger, who, as D.A. Bartley, writes the Abish Taylor Mysteries for Crooked Lane. Allison also blogs with me on the Misdemeanors blog. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me, Alexia. This is a blast. <laughs> so please tell us about your first Abish Taylor mystery, Blessed Be the Wicked. Ah, yes. That, that is a strange story because I realized that I, when I look back on writing that, I've always loved mysteries, always. Like from the time my very first memories of reading a grown-up book was Agatha Christie, this was always my go-to, but I don't think in a million years I would have ever thought I was capable of writing a mystery. They were just what I devoured, and I, that was what I did. And then there was a, I guess if I look back on it, a kind of a hard time in my life where my mother, who had, was eventually died but was dying of Alzheimer's and I was traveling back and forth to Utah all the time and somehow out of all of these visits I went and visited I was back in the state all the time and I visited this this enormous house near where a friend of mine lived because I just needed a break from all of the caregiving and I, you as a physician I'm sure you deal you deal with this on a daily basis those of us who are you know mere uh, lay people don't and I just needed a break and I went to visit this friend with this enormous empty house and I guess it stuck in my head and I came back to New York after a long visit in Utah and I had this idea of what could happen in an empty house and I just started writing and I had no idea where the writing would go and as I said this is sort of this difficult, a series of, of unfortunate events is what I sometimes call it, this, this difficult period. I came back from having seen and cared for my mom and my daughter ended up with a moderate concussion in a lacrosse game and couldn't listen, couldn't watch anything, couldn't read anything. And she said, mom, what are you writing? And I read to her everything that I had written, which was seven chapters of what eventually became Blessed Be the Wicked. And then she said, well, what happens next? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, go write some more. And so for a period of two weeks until she could go back to school, we kind of had this routine during the day that I was, you know, making her food and bringing her what she needed. And then I would go write and then I would read. And by the time she was ready to go back to school, I'd written half of, I'd written like 40, 50,000 words. And I'm one of those people who tries to finish what they start, so I did. And then I learned all of the stuff I don't know, <laughs> which was the first four chapters need to be chopped. And actually, what did you think you were doing with this point of view and all the rest of it? But I had something there, and I worked from there. So, and then we had Blessed Be the Wicked. So how did your final product change from your original conception? Ah, now that that was an interesting interesting development, the evolution really. I think I had really thought I was just going to be writing a classic murder mystery that happened in the state of Utah. It just happened to take place in a place that I know well. And when I finally got to chapter five, which now is chapter one, <laughs> the scene that is chapter one is blood atonement scene. So it's a really, it's a darker part of Mormon history. It didn't really happen in this way, but I wrote this blood atonement scene where you have this man whose throat's been slit. I'm not really spoiling anything because it's on the first page of the first book. And 
I realized I wasn't just writing about a regular mystery, a classic mystery that just happened to take place in the state of Utah. I was writing something that had to do with Mormon history. And in this particular case with Blood Atonement, what happens in a society that sort of brushes under the rug, I guess for lack of a better way of describing it, sort of violent aspects of its own past. And I played around with that and I realized that, yeah, when we when we ignore these sort of darker bits of our own history, don't bring them to light, don't process them, don't deal with them, that you can have people on the fringes that may go and take things a little bit too literally, which is kind of what happened in Blessed Be the Wicked. So you, you took a very specific instance, an empty house, and you took very broad themes of community values and faith and obedience and incorporated that into a compelling murder mystery. Do you think that crime fiction can be entertaining as well as instructive, as well as providing a social commentary? Oh, I really, I hope so. I think it can, and I think it does, and I think there are so many great people out there who are doing exactly that thing. I mean, I look at... I mean, I look at Kelly Garrett, I look at Richie Narvaez, I look at people who are in really wonderful and fun ways, ways that I want to read on the beach or at the poolside, weaving a fun, entertaining puzzle, because I really think at, its, at their hearts, I think mysteries are about the puzzling aspect, weaving that into, into a social background and, and asking questions about who we are as a community and who I am as a citizen. And, and do I need to maybe rethink the way that I view myself as, as a citizen or as part of a community? So yeah, I guess you know my answer, not surprisingly, is I think we can do that. And I think that a lot of fiction writers in our genre in suspense are sort of taking that up I mean you know even you know you look at at spousal abuse and problems in marriages and things that are dark and difficult things to deal with and I think we do have some writers who are managing to sort of address them in ways that uh, are perhaps unexpected Lee Child in uh, Midnight Line with with opioid addiction fascinating and a really sort of different take on that so yeah there's my long-winded answer Alexia that's an excellent answer. Now, <laughs> now, you mentioned that you had gone back to Utah to visit, oh no, to take care of your mother. Um, mm-hmm. Your family traces its roots back to Utah before it was even a state. Uh, you grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church. Um, and the Latter-day Saints have a world-renowned genealogy database because family history is, is so important. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> So the church, family history, and Utah all play a role in your fiction. How do you respond when someone asks you if your books are based on real life or real people or, of course, what they're really asking is, am I in there somewhere? (laughs) Well, I get the answer is, of course, no, that that I haven't. the, the, The characters in my books are far more either far more good or far more bad. But then actually there are a lot of people in between that are that are probably more realistic. I think where I try to really be accurate is is my history, scriptural references, doctrinal references. That stuff is real. Most of the geography stuff is real. If I say it takes an hour and a half to drive from Ogden to Provo, that's probably about right. You know, that sort of stuff, I feel like all of that needs to be accurate. And then beyond that, it is, it's playing with with all the rest of it. And and yeah, I do think the Mormon church is a, it's a global, 
powerful, hierarchical organization that makes most of its decisions in private. Now, I don't ascribe any evil intent to the to to that sort of org, to the organization at all. But as a mystery writer, that's exactly the kind of organization that lends itself to a lot of of fun um, what ifs, I guess. Right. You know, you you talked about getting some of the, the details right, like the driving distances and the church uh, doctrine. Uh, you have a doctorate in political science, uh, and you're an attorney, which are both research-focused fields. Uh, how do you balance including enough research and accurate detail to make your novels believable without including so many technical details that only a political scientist or lawyer would find them interesting? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, there you, 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 you completely hit my Achilles heel. <laughs> I think I think certainly for 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 the first book at the at first for Blessed Be the Wicked and even for Death in the Covenant I needed my editor to sort of kind of roll her eyes at me and go okay Allison really because I think I would find sort of arcane obscure little topics and Alexia I know you have the same capacity to find obscure arcane topics fascinating yeah. and go really deep um, and I do need to be pulled back so I know in Death in the Covenant which deals with polygamy I became obsessed with all of the cases that the church brought to the Supreme Court in the 19th century and I was reading all this case law and and I found it fascinating and my editor was like uh, yeah no. And she was right. The fact is, I think most people will find, you know, a drop of something interesting and it needs to be accurate. I feel like readers are smart. And now I think a lot of readers, I know I do, sometimes if there's something interesting, I'll immediately sort of Google it. It's like, oh, where is this going from? I think we can rely on that and don't need to let my sort of inner really boring nerd go to town for five pages on, you know, what the meaning of freedom of, you know, religion means in the United States in the 1870s. No one really wants to read that by the pool. So I am learning, I guess. The answer is, have, have you figured it out? No, I think I fail frequently, but luckily I have enough readers who will say, you know, Allison, why don't you pull it back a little bit? And I'm seeing that they're right, that, that I don't need to go in and write a dissertation on what X in the Book of Mormon, right? Just one little hint is enough. If it makes you feel better, I've scrapped more than one manuscript with a physician protagonist because it's <laughs> like a medical textbook instead of a mystery. So it's not just real. You know what, Alexia? I think I'd probably like to read that scrapped manuscript. I'd probably find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, you, you and me, but probably no one else. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We we could we could do. I could do my my case law on polygamy in the in the mid nineteenth century, and then we have the, the your 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 physician, and <laughs> or maybe not. And let's talk a little bit about names. I mean, I, I will confess that before I started recording, I asked you how to pronounce your last name, <laughs> and your character, your main character, is named Abish. Can you tell us about that name? Ah, yes. Abish. I love Abish. I love the name Abish. And I knew who she was. As soon as I started writing, her her presence was there in a way like I wouldn't have thought really could be, but I, she didn't have a name. And I knew 
As soon as I realized she needed a name, then I had to find a good name. Now, because I grew up Mormon, I know I grew up with so many boys who were named either after characters in the Book of Mormon or after Mormon leaders. Like it was really common for, for boys to be named after, you know, you know, Brigham's, there are Joseph's, but there are also many more obscure names from the Book of Mormon. And I didn't know anybody any girls who were named after after characters in the Book of Mormon, and, and there really aren't any female Mormon prophets, so that line is out. So I started flipping through the Book of Mormon, searching. I knew there was Sarah, I knew there was a Sariah, and I knew there was Mary, but Sarah and Mary are biblical characters. There are only three other women who were named in the Book of Mormon, and Abish is one of them. And as soon as I saw the name Abish, like, oh my goodness, that is perfect because it becomes Abby, it becomes Ab. And she's also kind of got an interesting storyline because she's supposed to be a Lamanite slave who who had accepted Jesus Christ and she helped convert this entire group of, of non-Christians to Christianity in Central America, as the you know, the Book of Mormon story goes. So she's she is in her own right sort of an interesting character, but I also liked that character being pulled into current day. And given that Abish's father is a professor at BYU of Mormon Church History and Doctrine, it would make sense that he would give her a religious name. That's a really long-winded answer. Again, wow. No, it's fascinating. It's actually a beautiful name. It is a good name, isn't it? I know. Maybe some kid, Maybe there will be girls named Abish now. Who knows? Well, they're, they're girls named after Game of Thrones characters, so... <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and uh, speaking of names, why did you decide to write under the pen name D.A. Bartley? Uh, okay, people who've known me for a long time know it's not a very clever pen name. My name before I was married is Donna Allison Bartley. I go by Allison in my day-to-day existence. Um, basically, my on both sides of my family, we have people who went by their middle names and not their first names. I was named after my grandmother. Um, Alice Donna, and she went by Donna rather than Alice. I was Donna Allison by, by Alice. And so my name that I was baptized into the church was Donna Allison Bartley. I'm a huge fan of P.D. James, so I think I just didn't, it didn't ever occur to me not to do, like, if we're going to be a mystery writer, it should be two initials. <laughs> Which, of course, doesn't make sense, Agatha Christie. Like, it's ridiculous, but that was my thinking at the time. So there we go, D.A. Bartley. It has a very mystery author sound to it, though, so it's a good name. And it does, it's, you can pronounce it, unlike Von Rosenbinga. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, we, we blog together on the Misdemeanors blog. So how do you, and I'm asking this partly for selfish reasons, how do you come up with ideas for your blog posts? I copy you. <laughs> and you want to post that? You're supposed to give me a secret. Um, you know, actually, I think initially when I first started, you guys were all uh, the most supportive, wonderful people. It made the transition from not having published to having being a published author so much smoother because whenever I had questions, you guys were just all wonderful. And so initially I really was sort of stressed about coming up with exactly the right thing. And I think I overthought things. Now I feel like when my week comes up, like I know like a few weeks ahead of time, okay, I've got to start preparing. Sometimes I'm really organized and get everything written ahead of time. Sometimes I'm not. And I find that I'll be responding sometimes to a really great book. 
if I've just read something that's fabulous and there's this, you know, somebody handled, I don't know, dialogue beautifully, or there were, you know, beautiful descriptions, like descriptions of weather, for example, where you're not supposed to work, you know, deal with the weather all the time. Uh, and let that sort of guide the, uh, the whole week. And then I also think it's fun. Sometimes I'm guided by all of my fellow misdemeanors. Like I have to, I have to thank you, Alexia, because I think you expanded my reading. I was not really a paranormal mystery. Am I really going to read a paranormal mystery? Love, 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 love them. Love your writing. Love your books. And it was such a nice reminder to go, oh my goodness, I think I know all there is to be about writing. And then you, you're like, actually, there's a whole world out there that I know nothing about. And it's really fun. And let's go explore. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. I don't think I answered your question. I tried. <laughs> uh, here's, well, here's another one, though. Is it harder coming out with ideas for the blog or coming out with ideas for murder? Ooh, the blog. I actually need you to think of ways to kill people. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ever look through my search and like my search history. Like it will not. It's not a good. Not a good thing. Yes, all mystery and crime fiction authors should be able to have a disclaimer posted on their laptop. Uh, it's research yes. purposes only. <laughs> Fictional research. Anaphylactic. Exactly. 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 Completely agree. And what can you tell us about your upcoming mystery, Death, Death in the Covenant? This was a fun one. Um, I think it was fun because it wasn't the first. And so... I think in, in the first draft of my first book, I initially was really hesitant to have anybody die. <laughs> but the second book, I'm like, oh. <laughs> so so I was much easier to sort of let go of people. Now, having said that, there are some people who it, it pained me. It was you know it wasn't it wasn't pleasant and and it was unfortunate. Um, so. Death in the Covenant was sort of triggered by an article that I read several years ago that was about dating communities in really religious sex. So uh, there was a, a, a particularly uh, conservative uh, Jewish sect in Brooklyn, and then there they also were looking at Mormons in Utah. So the, you know you had these religious communities within particular geographic zones. So they were dating communities, and in the case of Utah, and in both both uh, religions were very much focused on marriage and family. So this is what made this is why the the writer of this particular article sort of was comparing the two. And what struck me was that, you know, as of, I think, 2015, 2016, not sure on the date, but uh, either 2015 or 2016, there for every hundred marriageable age young men in Utah, there were 150 young women, which is quite an imbalance. Yeah. And, and I remember growing up before the internet where we heard all sorts of stories explaining why polygamy happened. And as I read this article, I'm like, Oh my goodness, this sounds a lot like the reasons, one of the reasons we were giving, given for polygamy. And it just sort of went from there. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, it is, it is my, it is completely imagination. I'll, I will, I will say that this is my own imaginings. 
and a little bit a little bit out there but it was actually a blast to to write and to play around with some of the crazy theories there were for polygamy and when is death in the covenant available august 13th oh coming up soon it is coming up soon. Yes, I, I now I do have hard copies. They just were delivered, I think, a week ago. So, so the books actually have been printed. That's very exciting. <laughs> and where can readers find you in your books? I say every everywhere. I think indie books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, and there. I think there. You know, there are all the the Kindle versions and and all the rest of it. So, I don't think they should be hard to find. <laughs> I hope they're not hard to find. And can readers connect with you on social media? Yes, I have my website is uh, dabartley.com and I have a Facebook page and I am not as good at Twitter as some are, but I, I try. <laughs> I'm there and I also have, I think I've got a link to my sort of my Instagram is uh, Allison Bonar. And, but if you go to my, my webpage, everything is, is laid out as, as one does these days. Excellent. <laughs> Hey, well, uh, thank you very much for joining me in the Cozy Corner, Allison. Thank you, Alexia. Actually, this was this was really nice. You're a great interviewer. This was fun. This was fun. Thank you. And my guest today was Allison von Rosenvinga, who writes the Abish Taylor Mysteries as D.A. Bartley. I'm Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries. Thank you all for joining Allison and me in the Cozy Corner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.